The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show. This is Joyce Bender with a great radio show coming up today. But before we begin, you know, I just want to thank all of you once again for your incredible support. Um, I mean, the past 10 years have been unbelievable, but this would not have happened if I had not had such support from many of you and from the disability community. So thanks, and once again, I'm wishing everyone a great year. Um, I like to start the show by frequently sending out a message to my dear friend Yoshiko Dart uh, because I like to keep the spirit of Justin Dart with us on the show. So with that, today we have an exciting guest. Um, it is an honor for me to have with us the Executive Director of Prince George's Tennis and Education Fund, a real sports champion. Um, Brenda Gilmore, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Joyce. Uh, you're too kind with that introduction. Well, it's a fact, Brenda, and it is an honor for us to have you because you've achieved greatness in sports uh, and helped other people in sports. So I thought we would start by you talking about what happened to you to take you into being a member of the disability community. Um, well, uh, back in 1979, um, uh, I was hit and run by an automobile, and um, which resulted in uh, paraplegia from the T8 level complete. Um, and after that, uh, needless to say, turned my life around pretty quickly. Um, I was uh, 27 years old at the time and very active uh, work-wise, education, and um, athletically, just recreationally, really. Um, and I was just looking to uh, find some things that I could still do um, because, as you, you know, figure 27, I was I was out there doing a number of things. Uh, I was introduced to the uh, found out about the Spinal Cord Injury Network, and they had a newsletter, uh, and I I joined and went to some meetings, and then I found out about something called wheelchair tennis, which I had never heard of before, and uh, started to uh, take wheelchair tennis lessons and. Uh, as they say, the rest is, is history. I got um, I got uh, hooked, so to speak. Um, so it was surrounded by uh, some really positive people, which was really important for me um, in in terms of uh, re looking at my life and and where I was going to be able to what I was going to be able to do uh, with it. Um, as, as you imagine, at 27, um, and uh, it just kind of went went from there, and has has been. It's been a, a pretty great uh, path, I'd have to say. 
Now, you said you were in an automobile accident. Someone hit you. Is that correct? Correct. Was this in the evening? When was this? Uh, yeah, it was like uh, late evening. I was coming from the, the movies. So it was probably like, it was like after midnight, between 11 and, and midnight, something like that. And someone obviously smashed into your car. In my car, right. And what, what happened with them? Uh, they never found them. Oh, that's so terrible. But, you know, from that point on, that's when you learn that, you know, life goes on and you're grateful for the blessings that you do have. Um, it was a pretty horrific accident. I mean, more that happened to me than just my my spine being crushed. There was, you know, lacerations and breaks throughout my body. So I was glad to be alive and um, just wanted to live my life to the fullest. And I was also glad that I had taken care of my body before the accident, which I something I really would like to express to uh, folks today, especially our young people, not to uh, abuse your body with, uh, um, you know, alcohol and, and drugs and to, and to exercise and to eat right, because uh, I think all those elements um, help uh, lead to my being able to um, survive. So, therefore, that's a great message. If you had been the opposite, and in terrible condition, we don't know if you would have lived. Exactly. Uh, well, okay. Now, for people listening to the show, I was going to ask you this later, but I'll ask you this right now. When you first found out <clears throat> that you were unable, you would be unable to walk again and that you would be in a wheelchair, how did you feel? Well, you know, it, there really, there, there, there's a process to it. And, um, I had a really uh, a, a good attitude about it because I was very spiritually sound. So a lot of people in the in the hospital didn't quite understand. You know, they figured I was in the you know what they call the denial stage. You know, um, I was very um, proactive. And when they told me, "Well, Brenda, you're, you're going to be in a wheelchair. You're probably going to be in a wheelchair." Well, I, in my mind, I was like, "Okay, either I'm going to be in a wheelchair, or I'm going to walk again, or it's going to be with crutches or something like that." But regardless, I want to be able to go back to work. And at the time, I was a professional photographer, so I was in the hospital trying to figure out ways how I can go back to doing photography. And again, I was grateful that I still had my eyesight, I still had my hands that I could use, and I still had my talent. So all I had to do was figure out a way to get around uh, to um, to take the photographs because I photographed uh, models, and and I was known for doing it on at different um, locations throughout the Washington metropolitan area. Um, so I was trying to figure out how I could get back to work, uh, and people didn't quite believe that I was just that adamant and that quick and ready to, to get back out there. So, um, you know, everybody handles it differently. Um, I didn't go through um, a depression or anything like that. I was just very proactive and wanted to, you know, it's like, okay, this happened, let's get through it, and how do I go to getting back to where I was before? Wow, that is really a great attitude. Uh, and why I wanted you to talk about this is there are young people, and of course older people, uh, that have something like this happen, and that's it. They're done. They mm -hmm. give up. They become suicidal. They feel it's all over. And sadly, 
many of them do lose their spouse. You know, this is just something that happens. Right. Um, and for any of those people listening to the show right now, you know, what advice would you have for them? Well, yeah, one, life is not over. Um, there's more to you than your, your physical body. You have to look at uh, your your spiritual body and, and your mental capacity um, and understand that, you know, bad things do happen to, to good people um, and and to be patient with with it, whether it is you that is is happened to or or a loved one, um, it, and just um, it's 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 a, a process. It's a process. Um, how can I? Because would you say? Let me ask you this question. Would you say that it is important to have supportive people around you? Oh, absolutely. You know, and and well, like I said before, you everybody does process it differently. But you know, the the concept of there, this too shall pass, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And understand that it is dependent upon you. You do need to be patient with yourself, and be patient with those that are around you because it's new for them as well but be oh you need to be around positive people whether that is family or friends or you know the people in in the um the hospital or the rehab situate center you might be in are going to be very positive for you but um i used to be a a peer counselor at rehabilitation um, hospital and try and find a, a peer group um that helps tremendously as well Oh, yeah. That's why I always tell people there is a disability community, and it is a community of people who have a disability, but it is not a community of sick people. You know, for example, in Washington, D.C., for the inauguration, there's a lot of parties. One of them is called Disability Power and Pride. And what this is meaning is we're a group of people, too. I'm living with epilepsy, but surely not ashamed. And one thing that will help you so much that Brenda said is getting involved with other people uh, in support groups, peer groups. Look what happened to Brenda from going out and getting involved. She heard about this wheelchair, I'm sorry, tennis, uh, tennis wheelchair games. And first of all, I can barely play tennis, period, let alone in a wheelchair. But, you know, she wouldn't have known about this if she had not got involved. You need to get involved. You either sit at home forever or you'll go out and live. So you have to ask yourself, what is the reason to sit home when you can still have a life? Yeah, it's going to be different. My life is different. You know, I don't drive. I do very rarely, but it has not changed my life. You know, I have other people that drive me, um, and uh, so what? That's what I say. You know, I'm living with epilepsy, just like, uh, as Brenda said, I had an accident, a different type of accident, because I had a seizure at a movie theater, and I hit the floor so hard I fractured my skull and ended up having brain surgery. And this is when I find out I have epilepsy. But you know what? There's two ways to think about it. A, how terrible. 
why did this happen to me? I'm such a good person. Or B, thank God I'm alive. And that's where you've got to get. Because guess what? There's millions of people out there that have other issues going on worse than you that need your help and young people who need you to be a role model for them. So with that, we're going to get ready to go to break. If you just joined us, we are talking to Brenda Gilmore, Executive Director of Prince George's Tennis and Education Foundation, and she is making it happen. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Brenda Gilmore. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now, please welcome back the host of Disability Matters. Here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. If you just joined us, we're talking to Brenda Gilmore, Executive Director of Prince George's Tennis and Education Foundation. And, Brenda, there are people listening to the show. I don't think they would have any idea what wheelchair tennis is. So could you make take a moment and talk about that? Okay, sure. Um, Well, wheelchair tennis is um, one of the fastest growing wheelchair tennis, wheelchair sports, I should say, uh, in the world. Um, The only difference with uh, wheelchair tennis is regarding the um, rules is that we get two bounces. So, However, the first bounce still must be in the proper line. So if you know anything about tennis, you know, and matter of fact, the Australian Open is going on right now. Um, if you know anything about tennis, uh, when you serve the ball, it has to be inside the service box. And it ha- so for wheelchair tennis, the ball first bounce must be inside the box, and the second bounce can be anywhere, and then we have an opportunity to get the ball on the first or second bounce. So as long as that first bounce is within the lines, um, we can we can play it, and uh, it's um, 
it's in a USTA, the, the National Governing Foundation, I'm sorry, the National Governing Body for Wheelchair Tennis here in the United States is the United States Tennis Association. Um, and the International Tennis Federation is the worldwide uh, governing body for, for wheelchair tennis. There are probably over 100 tournaments now throughout the world in, in, wheelchair, in wheelchair tennis, and uh, I believe there are still wheelchair tennis tournaments that are aligned with each one of the Grand Slam events. So um, there, there should be a wheelchair tournament going along with the Australian tournaments, usually at the, towards the end of the first week. Wow. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and, uh, and I love the sport for a number of reasons, Joyce. Um, one, uh, again, it helped me. I, I needed to. I've never been a a thin person, so I always had to uh, exercise just to keep my weight down. Um, so it's great for your your cardiovascular um, activities. Um, it's uh, it was great in terms of meeting people that were active. And and enjoying life and being a a new person in the the wheelchair community, seeing all the things that people were doing in wheelchairs that I never thought I'd ever be able to do. Um, one, uh, having babies. You know, they get having babies, getting married. I knew I was going to work, uh, and I had a, a van. But I never knew that I could, uh, and then we're talking about, you know, over 30 years ago, and it was a very different world there for the uh, wheelchair community or the disabled community, period. You know, it was before the American with Disabilities Act. So, you know, you didn't have all the curb cuts. You didn't have all the accessible bathrooms and um, and things like that. But I, one of the greatest things for me in my self-esteem uh, was that I found out I could drive a car versus a van. And... Uh, you know, uh, self-image, for everybody has their own self-image, and for me, I needed to kind of be a little bit more sporty, if you will. So when I found out that uh, I could drive a car, because I'd seen a, a, a guy driving a, a, a Z car, uh, a, a Nissan Z, it was a two-seater, um, and he'd just pop his wheelchair right next to him to sit in, the, in the passenger seat, and I was like, Amazed! I'm like, I, this is something I never thought would be possible for me, and that was just like an aha moment. And uh, that's where I really realized how important uh, it, peers are for us in this community. We need to see other people doing things and positive things, things that we either had given up on or any possibility of, of being able to achieve, or never thought that that we would be able to achieve that. Right, um, and see, I'm glad you brought this up. I heard I heard someone speak once at paralyzed veterans about, you know, people that fish or have a boat, and soon as they have this accident, they're starting to get rid of everything. And he'll always say, "Don't do it, don't right. do that," because there is accessibility in so many. Areas just like that example you gave with the sports car. 
I see people drive all the time to different events, you know, who use a chair. I have one employee, very significantly disabled, who uses a chair, but he's still able to drive and he comes to work all the time. And I have many friends who use wheelchairs who drive cars so they can still get around and they still play sports, whatever that may be. And there's so much accessibility out there. As Brenda said, we've come a far way since prior to 1990 when the ADA was written. But now there is so much more you can do and take advantage of. I've got to ask you this. Wheelchair tennis, how the heck do you learn to move that <laughs> well, fast on a wheelchair? You know, the, the thing is, the, the strokes are the same. So I, I took private lessons to learn how to serve and what a forehand ground stroke and a volley was and overhead smash and things like that. So those... Um, techniques, those skills are the same. Um, for me, yeah, I did have to learn how to move the chair. That was the hardest part. Now, there there are sports chairs for wheelchair tennis specifically, um, which helps you um, move the chair. They're light, lightweight, and people have probably seen them with a wide cambered um, um, wheels on them. But, and that's the part that takes... Um, uh, uh, training because you've got to get stronger because the stronger you are, the faster you're going to be. So what I, I used to do is I would uh, train um, throughout the, the neighborhood and just push my chair throughout the neighborhood. Um, that would be my quote-unquote track work. Uh, and then I would also cross-train with doing some um, some weights, uh, not you know, heavy weights, but different types of uh, of, of weight training uh, to help build up my endurance as well as uh, my strength. Um, and your 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 top athletes now, oh my goodness, they are so strong. The t- chairs are so light and so fast. Quite honestly, Joyce, I, I mean, and I go out and I and I and I teach now as well, but. Uh, you know, I'm I'm on in years now, so I I can't keep up. But the the light the the technology is so great now that it it does allow you to get around a lot fa- even faster uh, than I did when I was in I was on um, the tour. And you've got the lightweight um, high performance tennis rackets now. Um, I've got a young lady that I've been teaching since she was nine years old. She's 15 now, and I knew that it was it was it was coming. She can now she can't she hasn't beaten me playing, but she can beat me in speed. And she's it's not going to be too long before she'll be able to beat me uh, playing. But um, again, it's it's just a it's a, a great sport that you can um, also play you know with your family. That's another rule is that. If I'm playing with able-bodied people, they play the regular way. They get one bounce, but I still get two bounces. Well, here, here's a question I have. When you first decided, okay, I'm in a wheelchair now, I'm going to live my life the way I want to, how did your friends react? How, how were people different toward you than before? Well, you know, I had uh, a mixture. Um, my... Uh, my closest friends stuck with me, uh, visited me regularly at the hospital, um, were there for me after I came out of the hospital, um, d- driving me where I needed to, to go and, and, um, and, um, and helping me there. But there were some folks that, quote-unquote, couldn't deal with it, you know, 
And in my mind, is like, how can you not deal with something that I'm, I'm the one that's dealing with it, and I'm doing it in a positive way, so how could you not? But, you know, but you have to move on from that. You can't, you can't let what you're going through uh, be determined by somebody else's uh, negative attitude. Um, you have to always try to bounce back. Because, um, you, you know, the way I, I reflected on it, Joyce, was that before I had the accident, there were times when I was depressed about something and I wasn't happy about everything that was going on in my life. Well, this was just in a, something else and then I, that I had to go through. Just like I had to go through those challenges, I go through, had to go through this challenge. It was just a, another, just a, a bump in the road, but it wasn't a, a barricade that was going to keep me stuck for life. And I was determined that that's, that's how I was going to look at it. So in, in making that determination, it was I'm only going to be around positive people and people that are going to be able to um, help me along my my path that I've, I've designated for, for myself, my goals. Um, and that's how people have to be, whether, you know, able-bodied or not. You know, that, to me, that's a key element in your life. You know, you are the people that you're around. If you're around, yeah. you know, if you're around. Yeah, yeah. Because a question we had for you from the academy where we have young people with disabilities, many of whom are terribly bullied at school, right. is what do you do when people make fun of you? Or what do you do when people call you names because you're in a wheelchair? What's your answer to that? Well, you know, I've had a couple of instances where, um, and out of nowhere, people, just strangers, you know, would come up to me. And I'm, I'm in the, the store well would say things like, what's wrong with you or what happened to you? And I'm like, nothing. I'm fine. How are you? I'd switch it around and turn it back on them. Um, and then that, you know, put them on the defense and they can't deal with it. Then they have to reevaluate what they just said. You know, there's more than say things like uh, there's more to life than just being able to walk. There's a lot more to me than that. Um, and you know, and and I know that it, it's hard, uh, particularly for uh, these young people, because um, if there were you know anything, a, a blessing is that I was 27 and already had graduated from college and was working and was, you know, on my way in life. But we've, I've got young kids, you know, I've got a little boy now that's um, six years old um, with cerebral palsy. But I've seen him turn around just because, just from playing wheelchair tennis. He can walk with, with crutches, but he got in that wheelchair and and was spinning around and started you know move so fast after after the initial fright of it, and his confidence has increased tremendously, um, and his parents have have said that as well, um, and he's learning how to assert himself more if kids ask him questions or sometimes kids will try to push your chair or, you know, they don't look at it as, well, this is a part of me. Don't push my, please don't push my chair. That's the same thing as if I were to push you. You wouldn't want me to do that to you, would you? Um, so it's a learning process and, and each situation is is different and has had to be dealt with differently. Um, but it it takes time. It just takes time for um, 
for everybody, you know, because no matter where we go, or no, no matter where I go, being in a wheelchair, nine times out of ten, I'm in the minority. And I'm used to people looking at me, staring at me, and I handle it in different ways, different times, because also understand that I'm a human being as well. I have good days. I have bad days. Not so much uh, feeling uh, physically bad, but, you know, emotionally, you know. I'm I'm a female. I have, you know, like moments. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're staring at me. Are you going to say something? Are you going to speak to me? Uh, you're just staring to be staring. Um uh, I just, you know, people stare at me sometimes, and I'm just like, hi, how are you doing today? Uh, and throw them off track. Like, they, oh, they, they catch themselves, you know. They, you know, they're staring at me, and, you know. Um, uh, and they'll respond uh, very positively, like, oh, gosh, she's a real human being. <laughs> you know, yeah, I walk, I talk. I don't walk, but I do talk, and I am intelligent, and I can have a conversation. And that was one of the things that uh, wheelchair tennis, in fact, did do for me was when I um, actually played on an able-bodied league and started to beat able-bodied people uh, playing tennis, and that opened up a lot of conversations, and it became like an icebreaker because they were amazed at the fact that here's somebody in a wheelchair that can play better than I can, or even if they didn't beat me, they're playing better than I thought they could. So... Um, that is one of the reasons why um, I enjoy the sport, and I'm a proponent of of people with disabilities to get involved in and engaged in uh, activities outside of of uh, their either their job or or just being at home. Um, I know everybody has to enjoy something outside extracurricular um, and get involved in it, whether it's um, for for dis with a disabled group or not, you know, and especially if it's not with a disabled group because, you, you we're, again, in the minority, we have to learn how to re-engage and be, and, and, and be accepted by uh, the majority of people on a regular basis because that's where we are. Well, I say amen to all of that, Brenda. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. And with that, we're going to go to break so that we can come back and listen to this fireball. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Brenda. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Hi, I'm Greg Grunberg from the TV show Heroes. One of my personal heroes is my son, who, like more than 3 million Americans, has epilepsy. When someone with epilepsy is having a seizure, their brain is temporarily producing more electricity than their body can handle. They can shake or stare or fall down. They can also even briefly lose consciousness. If you see someone having a seizure, please make sure they're comfortable and safe. And within a few minutes or less, the electrical overload will stop and they will be okay. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org. Thank you. 
Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio, Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. Hey, if you just joined us, you're in for a treat because we're talking to Brenda Gilmore, the executive director of Prince George's Tennis and Education Foundation and a wheelchair tennis superstar. I hope if you haven't listened to the first part, you go back. You know, all these shows are archived at BenderConsult.com and Voice America, but you can also download the show from iTunes. So make sure you tell all the young people you know about that. Um, So, Brenda, you became the first ever African-American female to achieve the status of a nationally ranked wheelchair tennis player, which you held that title for five consecutive years. How much time and discipline did it take to get to that level, and how did that make you feel achieving that? Um, well, uh, like I said earlier, it takes uh, it took a lot of training. I pretty much trained uh, five to six days a week, um, alternating between uh, playing uh, tennis, um, taking tennis lessons, doing um, workouts with weights as well as, as track work. Um, and um, it, it would, and, and you get your ranking by obviously by playing tournaments. And the the key about wheelchair tennis is you've got now, through the United States Tennis Association, uh, there are a number of wheelchair tennis tournaments around the country. So um, the more tournaments that you um, participate in, the more points you can uh, accrue and and thus get a a higher um, ranking. But there are different levels of of tournaments some give you more points than than others but you can drive there are um tournaments you can just drive to because money can be uh a bit much sometimes if you're trying to go to some of the the large tournaments will be far away from from you might from where you might be living but they try to do um the major tournaments at least one in each corner of the uh, United States in um New York uh, Texas, California, um, Michigan um, are the, the primary states uh, that they have the, the major tournaments that I can think of right now offhand. But, like, again, there are tournaments all over the country. So um, if you don't have a lot of money, you can just go on the USTA website and see what tournaments are closest to you that you can drive to or you're willing to, you know, like I'm, I'm in – Maryland, I might go up to New York and just, you know, go for a weekend and, and come back. Um, 
but having the um it, it's it's ironic that you asked me how did it make me feel um because it the the competitive nature keeps you going and the camaraderie more than anything that's what i liked more than anything was the camaraderie i just couldn't wait uh for april to come back around because the the um the seasons pretty much ended in in october it went from when i was on tour it was like from april to october um now it's it's all year round um but so my workout season was usually uh was like november to march and i wouldn't there were no tournaments to play or not none that were close to me um so i do all of my my training but gosh, I couldn't wait for April just to see my buddies again and, and get back in in the mix of, of playing tournaments. So, um, the social atmosphere um, and the attributes were fantastic. And and like I said, the the peer it's like peer mentoring. Um, I know it's probably uh, not the best thing to to promote, but I did learn how to pop wheelies and pop curbs <laughs> through my friends in uh, in, in uh, wheelchair tennis. Um, but again, um, some some other really key things that that were were great, um, and uh, then when um, well, I actually was pretty much an injury that that ended my uh, playing because I didn't I had a shoulder injury and I didn't want to uh, have surgery. I just wanted to just preferred to just rest it and and finish that way. But it led into my actually found that's what led my into my founding being a co-founder for the Prince George's Tennis and Education Foundation. And through this time, we're actually in our 20th year, and this year, of um, uh, since its inception. Um, and this has been more gratifying to me than any trophy I ever won. Wow. Yeah. Well, how about if you tell us about that? What is this foundation? Well, um, the Prince George's Tennis and Education Foundation is um, what's known as a community tennis association under the United States Tennis Association, as and with UST, the United States Tennis Association, also known as USTA. I don't want to kill you with a bunch of acronyms, but um, we bring tennis to our community, and that means everyone. Tennis, um, one of tennis's slogans is that tennis is uh, for everyone, and the purpose is to, to promote and develop tennis um, everywhere. So um, I live in a predominantly African-American county in, in um, Maryland and um, with a large um, underserved community, and that was my initial um, premise. Um, and that kind of happened. That was a happenstance because, again, I I would do I used to do um, presentations for the United States Tennis Association by going out to schools and doing tennis exhibitions and demonstrations. And um, would I would have afterwards a, a question and answer period, and the question and answer period would always lend itself towards, well, how did you um, overcome being in a wheelchair and things like that? And it brought me closer to these kids in realizing that my my talk turned around to, look, you're going to have, you might be living in an adverse situation right now. It doesn't mean that you have to stay there. 
you can overcome it. It does mean that you do, you know, there are things you are going to have to do and put in place. You're going to have to get a good education. You have to do well in school. You're going to have to, you know, remain, uh, have healthy habits um, and, and work hard, and you can get out of your situation. And um, that's kind of what turned things around for me. And I you know, was like, uh, wow, I need to have, I need to do this in my neighborhood. I was doing it for the USTA, and I didn't have um, an association in my neighborhood, and that's when I um, helped start it. And when we started it, we were um, an inclusive. Um, we had, of course, as you always, we only had a few youngsters with disabilities, uh, whether they were uh, physical or uh, emotional, but we did have kids in our program, and we never discriminated. Everybody was always welcome. And, um, and the theme has always been, you know, never say, I can't. You can. You, you just have to try, and you can do it. And, and enjoy the sport at all levels and enjoy uh, what it's bringing to you, and talking to the parents and um, letting them realize that there are things that go on on the tennis court by virtue of it being a um, uh, an individual sport um, that transition into everyday life. If what I have come to find, Joyce, that if you are losing and you're on the tennis court and you are losing, how you handle that loss uh is a mirror image of how you're handling adversity in your life. Are you are you giving up or are you going into outrage or are you regrouping saying I'm going to handle this, I'm going to do this and and then see what my outcome will be. So, there's so I know I'm I'm, I'm I put a lot of things in there, but that's is so much that that goes on into tennis and why I love the sport and why uh, I bring it to this community. In, in particular, um, there's so much to be to be learned for it, from it in personal development, um, learning how to uh, control aggression on the tennis court. It's not about how hard you hit somebody or how hard you hit a ball. A home you, you can't hit home runs in tennis. You've got to keep stay within the lines. What do you have to do in life? You need to stay within the lines in order to progress. So. Those are the things, um, the ideals that we have and the things that I'm working towards and the reason why I just love the sport and love bringing it to young people, young people no matter what, their their age, race, ability, disability. Um, it, it applies to everybody. Well, you know, Brenda, I'm really glad you talked about this, about taking this to your own community because, as you probably know, you do not see tennis a lot in uh, poverty-stricken areas uh, or, or, you know, areas that just are more with disadvantaged families. You don't see tennis, just as you don't see skiing or things like that. Um, and so I think it's really important what you're doing so that, you know, you can get across to people as long as you can get a ball and a racket. You can exactly. play this game. <clears throat> exactly. And um, to play recreationally, this is not an expensive sport at all. Like you said, you get a racket and a ball, and you don't even need a partner. You can, for the exercise of it, you can just hit on a wall, you know. Um, and that's what I used to do. Again, part of my training, uh, 
I had to hit on a wall because uh, <laughs> until people realize not to be afraid of this person in a wheelchair or not to assume that this person in a wheelchair did not know how to play the game, very often I was just hitting on the wall, and all that did was make me stronger, um, physically stronger and, and skill level stronger. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree with you uh, 100%, 100%. Well, what are the main reasons you think that it is not uh, in disadvantaged areas? One, I would say, it's not having tennis courts. Well, it's it's combination of things. It's it's looked at as it in uh, an elite sport and an elite sport that costs money. And like I said, it will cost money for lessons. The the equipment is not that expensive, but it's not as cheap as a basketball or a football. And you do have to, if it, you know, um, it, if it's cold outside, you do have to, or raining or or snowing, you do have to pay for indoor court time. So if you are, have minimal income or minimal disposable income, you are going to be more inclined to towards the sports that are cost little or no money. And so that that is those are the primary reasons why you don't see it in in low income communities until someone when I come into a community and I bring it to them and we can and we do it by virtue of we have portable nets and equipment now that is this uh, geared towards the age and the size of the kids they don't have to pay play with heavy adult rackets anymore they have balls special um low compression balls that don't bounce so high. So if a child is only three or four feet high, the ball's not bouncing six feet up in the air for them. So we have, <clears throat> excuse me, a, a number of, of ways to introduce the sport to the youngsters at their level. But again, we, we go into the neighborhoods, into the recreation centers, into uh, the schools, into the gyms, um, and that's how it can be brought at the gra total grassroots uh, level. You don't have to have tennis courts there just to, to continue at a recreational level. Um, if you want to take it to more competitive and you do need regular courts and you will have to um, go indoors um, because of the region that we live in. Um, but more importantly, what I, I try to also have a goal for these parents, for them to recognize, is that there are 4,000 colleges in the United States and many of them have tennis teams, and that is an opportunity for your child to go to college for free or with a scholarship, a partial scholarship, and um, enjoy a sport that they, they love and get an education by playing tennis. Um, so though, and so I, I still, um, you know, to this day there are people that, don't know that they can go to tennis, excuse me, go to college on tennis scholarships, that their children can go to college on tennis scholarships. Uh, so it's a matter of really getting getting the word out. But it, it, in things, Joyce, as you know, things uh, are in, engulfed or embedded in, in culture. So if you've been doing, you've been doing, we've been doing this this way for a hundred years now, and this is what we know, and this is what we like, and this is what's safe, you know, and this is what we're we're akin to. Sometimes you've got to go in there and uh, uh, be a pioneer and be willing to to take all the bumps and bruises to get it done, um, to change minds or to open some eyes and ears and hopefully uh, get 
uh, positive results, uh, which we have, in fact, been able to do because um, we started out, well, we started in 1993. Our first graduating, high school graduating class was in 2000. Uh, since 2000, we've had close to 100 kids that have, have graduated, gone on to college um, with uh, close to 70% of them with either academic or athletic scholarships. Wow. Yeah. That's so wonderful. We, that is wonderful. Well, Brenda, you have really, you know, you're just a great role model. Therefore, someone had to be a role model for you. So who is that person? Who who was your role model? Oh, my role model is was my mom, is still my mom. My mom is, uh, wow, she's going to be 85 this year. Um, and she was just... Uh, I guess what what all good moms do, you know, they 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 raise their children as best they know how. They do what they need to do to ensure uh, that they are are sound in their their education, sound in in their their faith, and sound in in setting goals and and staying on the path to reach those goals, and. Um, and being just that, the role model, you know. Um, and it, and it's, I, I, as a kid say, I've got to give my mom her props because she did that. Um, she um, only graduated from high school, but she was bound to determine that her kid was going to go to college. And uh, and that's what happened. I mean, um, she, was a, she was always a, a good role model. She went to work every day. Uh, she went to church every Sunday, dragged me to church every Sunday, whether I wanted to or not. Um, Sunday school, went, came home, had lunch, and went back to church in the in the afternoon very often. Um, she went to the Parent Teachers Association meetings, which I, I Joyce, unfortunately, I find a number of parents don't do, um, and that's very important to. Um, take a major role in your, your child's education and making sure, even if you don't know, know how to do all the things that the kids can do now, you would need, at least need to show that interest. When your child comes home from school and, you you know, you ask them, did you, do you have any homework or did you do your homework, very often they say, yeah, well, you need to look at that homework and make sure that they did, in fact, do it. Um, and go over it with them and show that show that interest and continually um, push them them harder and further and more because my mom pushed me and I hated it at the time and I I'll be the first to tell you I hated school but I loved my mother and I always wanted to make her proud of me and that was one of the uh, biggest factors in in my making sure that I not only Graduated from high school, but graduated with with good good grades and went on to college and did well there. Is also well. I'll tell you what. I bet your mother, when she listens to this show, or if she's listening, is going to be really proud of you. Yeah, my mom. Yeah. Sure, I'm sure she already <laughs> is proud of you, but that's just so nice. And uh, and it's. I'm sure very accurate. So, Brenda, obviously you already have accomplished a lot in your life. And in this question and the next question I ask to every guest who's ever been on the show. So what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? Uh, 
Um, my greatest accomplishment has been making a positive difference in the youngsters that um, I've, I've helped develop through my, my foundation. Um, one young lady said her goal was to be my greatest success story, and she she did it. She um, graduated from Roosevelt High School here in, in uh, Prince George's County. She got a four-year tennis and academic scholarship to go to Howard University. She went to University of Maryland Law School, graduated in May, and passed her law of uh, the bar on the first go-round in July. So, wow. That, that must yeah. make you feel great. Oh, my goodness. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. No, I, I'll tell you what. I agree with you on this one because there's no price tag you can place on helping a young person achieve their dreams and believe in themselves. No price tag. So, Brenda, what message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, I would say be be patient. Uh, if you, especially if, if if you're newly disabled, be patient. Surround yourself with positive people. Uh, find an outlet. Find an extracurricular activity that you either enjoyed before your disability. Or look to some, um, keep your eyes open for some other and new possibilities. Um, there's just a, you've got so many more opportunities and, I, and outlets than I ever had, you know, 33 years ago. There was no such thing as the Internet um, to, uh, you know, just explore some new wonderful and positive uh, things to get in, involved in, ven- venues, avenues that, that can uh you can get engulfed in and 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 have and, and enjoy your life to the fullest in a positive way. Um, that's that's the biggest thing. Enjoy your life in a positive way and and to, and, the, and understand that you can in fact have a full life. And for me, it has been uh, giving to others. So don't be uh, selfish. You know, don't 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 have pity parties. If, you know, we all cry. Everybody cries, able-bodied or not, over different things. But don't just stay stuck in that. Move on. Understand that things will happen. Move on, and look towards the positive things in your life and the things that you want, and develop and just develop and stay on that path. Wow. Well, I hope everyone listens to what you just said, because I believe that is so true. And we end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, athlete, entertainer, just someone that we believe has inspired other people. And before I give out that quote, I want to say, Brenda, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I hope everyone listens to this show and especially gets this show out to young people because I believe it will make a difference. So today, our quote is by two-time Olympic gold medalist Bob Richards, who was a pole vaulter, who said, Ingenuity 
plus courage plus work equals miracles. And isn't that the truth? This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 